Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash deathdyingandotherthings. Any little bit helps. And I wanted to update y'all on the new schedule for Death, Dying, and Other Things. New episodes will drop a week later than they have in the past. Death, Dying, and Other Things is moving to the second Thursday of the month. Now, on to the show. I've talked about dreams a lot in the past. I think it's because there's so many nightmares I had as a kid that even now, at 33 years old, I still remember so vividly. I've talked about a few of these before, but I just wanted to tell their stories again, from a different angle. One time, my room was being painted, so to avoid the fumes, I slept on the couch. Later that night, I dreamt that I woke up on the couch to a knocking at the front door, just feet away from me. I heard my parents in their room upstairs say that whoever was knocking would just go away if they ignored them. The person at the door knocked one more time and then stopped, but then I heard them walk around the house, heard them scratch at the windows, I heard them find the back door unlocked, I heard them push the door open, I heard them walk through the house to behind the couch, and then I felt their hand clutch my side. That's when I woke up, the feeling of their cold fingers lingering on my skin, muscles spasming where their fingertips had dug in. There was one where I was in the cafeteria at school, and a wolf broke in. Hell broke loose, everyone running everywhere, and I did too. Ran, tried to hide with other classmates, but I was the star of this nightmare, so the wolf found me easily. And no matter where I ran, or where I hid, the thing tracked me down. I was sprinting across the school's playground when it leapt and sunk its teeth into my back. I woke up, still feeling its teeth in the skin of my lower back, the muscles spasming in panic. There was one where a murderous mist descended on our neighborhood, and from our house, we watched it hunt down the neighbors. We took shelter in a dusty old storage room that smelled like mold and rat pee and watched through the cobwebs as the mist flowed into our house and scoured every room for us. When it found us, I woke up. I can still recall the smell of that room from that nightmare if I think about it. This month, on death, dying, and other things, a story about a dream with lingering effects. In Audio Notes on a Hidden Moon, a recurring dream has an interesting side effect on a man's mind. 
death and dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. November 5th, cataloging my thoughts and laying the framework for a theory. For centuries, people have been having strange dreams in the area of what is now Barton Falls, hidden in portions of the population that are deemed less worthy of serious consideration, habitual users of substance, handlers of the occult and metaphysical, and those hopeless in the rest of their lives. These dreams, when spoken aloud, are dismissed as the ravings of lunatics and liars. What brought me here to Barton Falls may be important later, so I'll recount the circumstances here. What was once a small ski community at the foot of the mountains has grown to a sizable city due to the influx of venture capital and tech dollars, owing to its proximity to major tech hubs and also its gorgeous landscape. It's what brought me here three years ago, fresh out of school, looking for my first job. My hometown is a wasteland for programming jobs. The leading industry there is unemployment, followed by warehouse work and then trucking. The population has been falling for at least a generation when the first of the factories closed. My parents were shielded somewhat from the shifting economy. They worked in medicine, but even still, a collapsing economy sinks all boats and they were forced into early retirement just as I graduated from school. Once I arrived in Barton Falls, I got a job easily. There's always a new startup that needs a programmer. In fact, in the three years that I've been here, I've worked for four different startups that have staffed up and then collapsed. I'm currently in my fifth gig in those three years. Now back to those dreams. Like I said, The dreams have been plaguing the less fortunate in Barton Falls for centuries. In fact, it's built into the DNA of the city and the area surrounding it. Local legends, kids tell around campfires, offhand jokes, whimsical references in unrelated newspaper articles, things like that. When you mention the dreams, people know what you're referring to, though nobody believes it. The problem is with who's having the dreams. Nobody believes that a bunch of people living in Barton Falls all dream the same dream when the people claiming to be the dreamers are peddlers of palm readings, addicts, and depressives. But a question that constantly scratches at my skull is this one. Are they claiming to dream that dream because they're psychics and need to keep up appearances? Because they're high and hallucinating? Because they're hopeless and clinging to any meaning in their lives? Or... Are they those things because they dream the dream? Has the dream driven them into those lifestyles, into those mental states? I've always been slightly, I guess you could say, sensitive 
seeing things others couldn't, feeling things in the air, knowing things before they happened. Nothing outrageous, nothing world-shattering, just minor brushes with the otherworldly. Soft enough that for most of my life, I assumed I was just seeing things, or my mind was just playing tricks on me. I'm compiling all this in audio notes because, well, last night I dreamt the dream. And, eventually, once I've compiled enough evidence, I want to hand it off to someone who can research this properly. I know a couple people I used to have lunch with at school that are in grad school now for various scientific disciplines. One of the med students, or psychology students, or maybe even that geologist I had those classes with. What was his name? <clears throat> November 8th. The description of the dream. I just awoke from that dream for a second time. It was more vivid this time. I was up on top of the mountain that hangs over our town of Barton Falls. It was late in the evening, perhaps nine or ten. Cars were still on the road, and I could see them dance through the streets below. A crisp breeze hit me under the chin, and on instinct, I looked up at the sky. The sky was clear and the stars shone bright. The moon was low, huge, and looming overhead. I immediately sensed something was wrong and felt that creeping dread that accompanies dreams just about to slip into nightmares. I heard rustling in some of the bushes at my back and swung around in surprise. Nothing was there, or nothing visible, and so I once again looked up at our pleasant moon, just in time to see a second, red on its surface, as if to say it was angry, slip out from behind our gentle lunar body. My heart picked up at this moment. The red moon took its time in showing itself in what seemed like an attempt to drown my panic, to prolong my suffering. I gasped for breath and struggled against my own heart. I felt as though I was on the verge of a heart attack, and then somehow things turned for the worse. The red and angry moon, now almost completely revealed from behind Earth's own, began rippling. The surface of the thing moved in some way, as if it was liquid and great waves began to propagate across its body. The edges of the red moon's orb went jagged, colossal ridges piling up and then relaxing. The ridges collapsed, sending yet more waves undulating across the surface of the thing. I watched this feedback loop build upon itself until the red liquid had pushed outward completely, forcing itself into a thin red ring orbiting the moon's true form, some sort of enormous metal structure at the center of the mass. My vision as it often does in dreams. Telescoped in toward the metal construction despite my protesting, and I saw in great detail the towering spires of metal, grooved along the entirety of their heights, from their razor-sharp tips to their base's foundation. 
ending in great troughs that led into pits heading further into the metal complex. I blinked, and my vision was returned to my body. I sensed more movement behind me, and I again spun quickly on my heels to anticipate any danger. From out of the trees, seven figures slinked towards me. As I laid eyes on them, my vision blurred, and I wasn't able to fully appreciate their menacing forms. One of them seized me by the torso, and I gasped, awake in my own bed. And now, here I am, sitting in the dark, and I can't help but think that the shapes I'm seeing in the shadowed corner of my room remind me of those figures that assaulted me in that terrible dream. Hello? Is someone there? Oh my god. There was someone here. Did you hear that? Every hair on my body is standing up. The shapes are gone now that I've turned the lights on. <laughs> I was spooky. November 9th, a post-mortem of the vivid dream and the visitor. I'm finishing my coffee and reviewing the events of last night in my head. I listened to last night's audio note, excited to see if I had managed to capture that other voice I heard in my room. And wouldn't you know it, my recorder decided to crap out just at that moment. I still get chills, even now, in my kitchen, with its bright morning light, when I think about that figure and that voice. It said quite clearly to me, you left. Must have been my eyes and ears playing tricks on me, like when I was young and thought I was a psychic. The adrenaline coursing through my veins in the wake of that dream probably didn't help either. Now, the dream. What more can be said, really? It made me feel intense, like only the most vivid of vivid nightmares could do. I don't know. I'll have to think on this today. And if the dream returns again, I will have to seriously consider calling one of my old scientist pals for help. November 11th, slight variations. I have just awoken from that nightmare again. The dream was largely the same, but this time differences presented themselves. I was on the top of the mountain, looking down on the city. But then, my vision, with perfect clarity, focused in on several open windows in different houses and apartments scattered across the city. Inside each, I saw a person in some trance-like state, dancing around some small hunk of crystallized crimson. Each person kneeled, collapsed, and then began convulsing on the floor. Then suddenly, they stopped, stood up, dusted themselves off, and looked out their windows towards me. 
Their eye contact sent shivers up and down my spine, and I had to will myself to break their gaze. I looked skyward and admired our brilliant moon and waited for something in this uneasy scene to turn. I heard the movement behind me in the bushes, turned around to see what it was, and instead of nothing, there was a large octagonal container made of wood. It appeared to have been carved from a single piece, perhaps a large tree's trunk. The container was perfectly shaped, impeccably polished. Great care went into its construction. I could tell even at the six or seven paces away I had been standing. On one of the eight sides, I could see a large metal hinge, and on the other side, directly opposite the hinge, a sturdy latch and a hefty iron lock. The lid was carved with intricate symbology that I couldn't decipher. And then my attention was drawn once again skyward, in time to see that red menace creeping out from behind our own gentle Luna, and the feedback loop started, and the red stretched itself out, revealing the alien structure's true form, and I again heard movement behind me, again turned around, and again was accosted by those shadowy figures. I must admit I'm more alarmed this time. Sweating, too. My sheets are soaked. November 16th. A brief reprieve. I haven't been tormented by dream nor visitor for nearly five days. It's a welcome vacation from those night terrors, and with every night that passes without one, I hope that I am rid of them. The view out my window this morning is sublime. My second floor apartment overlooks a large oak tree, and here in the late autumn, the leaves have nearly all hit the ground. Squirrels, four of them, scurry across that bed of orange and brown, looking for the last few acorns they haven't yet scooped up and stowed away for the winter. It's pleasing to watch and soothes my mind. My mind. These last few days have been nightmare-free, yes, but something else has been troubling me. I don't quite know how to explain it, but I feel as though my thinking is changing. It's as if the way in which I reach conclusions and recall memories is being rewired. I can even now feel my grasp slipping from some information that even just yesterday was easy for me to recall. The name of one of my old classmates. We sat next to each other for two years worth of earth science classes. I remember walking into Geology 102 and being ecstatic to see him smiling at me from the third row, but I can't remember his name. Ah, what was his name? Across the table from me, there's a small rectangular object. It looks like it's made of plastic, and on the top it has a bit of metal. It's sitting right next to my cigarettes, but I can't recall what it's for. Ugh, my head hurts. I'm going to take some aspirin. November 17th, a dead end. 
I had today off work, so I wanted to put a little time into looking into the history of this city. Maybe discover a commonality among those that, I don't know, have the dream, I guess. There's not much on the internet about the place besides brief mention in articles titled things like Top 10 Creepiest Local Legends on websites like scaryworld.com. I don't know. I think I'm in the dark here. My head is still pounding. At this point, pain meds are only barely helping. And I'm still having trouble remembering some things. The name of my old classmate finally came to me. His name was Harry. He was a funny guy. I remembered that little piece of plastic is called a lighter and that it's used to light my cigarettes. But it, as soon as I remembered those things, other pieces of my life were forced out. My birthday. I, I couldn't remember my birthday until I looked it up on my birth certificate. And then, as soon as I did that, my address escaped from my mind and I had to go look at the stack of mail sitting by the door. And that forced something else out. Now I can't remember my mother's maiden name. Hmm. Um, somebody's at the door. It's the wooden box. It's the wooden box from my dreams. It's much smaller than it was in the dream, but it's much heavier than I anticipated. It's octagonal, latch and large iron lock holding it shut. Incredibly intricate symbology carved into the top. It's only about the size of a softball, but it's about as heavy as a bowling ball. How am I supposed to open this? November 18th. Um, rapid fire dreaming. Every single time. I've fallen asleep tonight, I have dreamt the dream. Every time. Each time it's a little different. Sometimes I watch the people across our town dance around red crystals and collapse and writhe on their floors. Sometimes I examine the box. Each time I end the dream, watching the hidden moon transform, and then I'm accosted by that group of ghouls. On one occasion tonight, I found a key in my pants pocket, a key that fit the lock on the box. But when I opened it, I couldn't see inside. All that the box contained was a sea of nothing, completely dark. What's my name? I can't remember my name. More and more my memories are being rewritten. It's almost like I can feel the neurons shifting their connections. Synapses rewiring themselves, scrubbing my brain of its memories and replacing them with something else. I hesitate to say it, but 
It's like someone else's memories are replacing my own. I can remember standing in a small room. The walls were made of some dark rock and carved with symbology similar to the wooden box that arrived at my door yesterday. There were no lights in this room, yet I still was able to see. A panel of glass separated the room into two, and I waited, my eyes fixed on the doorway on the opposite side of the glass. I was nervous for what was about to come next, though right now I can't remember what that was. My eyes never left that doorway. Not for hours. Just waiting for something to come through. I remember another thing. Standing in front of another stone wall somewhere else. This wall had a doorway too, but the doorway was filled in with stone. I remember standing straight, excited about what was about to happen. My mouth started watering, flooding my taste buds with the acrid flavor of my saliva. Someone behind me said a few short words in a language I remember understanding but can't now. Then the stone in the doorway in front of me ignited lighting on fire in a brilliant flash. I ran forward and jumped through. What is going on? Hello? Is someone here? November 19th. I don't know who I am. I can't tell if those memories were just a dream I had. I can't tell if that thing I saw in my room last night was real. I don't know. I don't know who I am. I can't remember my name, but I have the suspicion I'll remember a different name soon. I don't know where I came from anymore. When I try to think of my hometown, all I see is a vast cavern dotted with hellfire. If I try to remember anyone I've met, all I see are faces lined with eyes and teeth. I found a key. I don't remember where. At some point today, I looked down and found it in my hand. My hand. I don't think this is my hand. Is this my hand? I'm going to open the box now. Jesus. I would have preferred if there was nothing in here, I think. It's a red crystal. It's a red crystal like those in my dreams. It's a red crystal, and all I desire is to place it on the floor and dance. Please. 
Please, God, help me. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, Audio Notes on a Hidden Moon, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Crystals and the Moon. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other great shows. New episodes the second Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows. <laughs>